Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Punk Rock MBA podcast. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you for making time for this. I'm sure you have a lot of things going on. I will forgive you're wearing a Deftones shirt, and I'll forgive you for that. This is a safe space where it's okay to wear Deftones shirts. Dude, I have I have no shame. Like I'm kind of a strict Deftones fan. Like I'm just an adrenaline and around the fur dude. Like I do like White Pony, but adrenaline around the fur were like seminal records for me growing up. So I don't, I don't really stray far from that. Is is that a thing in the Deftones fandom? Like some people only like the first two or something, unless like white pony, like a dividing line in the fandom. That's yeah. Like I, I mean, I do dig white pony, but it's not, it's never a go-to for me, dude. Like adrenaline around the fur still just hold up for me. Just like timeless. Gotcha. You know me, I'm, I'm not a Deftones fan, but that's okay. We can still be friends. <laughs> Why don't you like the Deftones? I want to. I want to know. They're fine. It's more just like I'm an asshole, and whenever people have like just that kind of excessive level of enthusiasm for a thing, it irritates me. You know what I mean? I get it. I'm not like I'm not that dude. I'm not saying you, but like just you know how it is in general. Yeah, like I do love the Deftones, but I'm not that. I'm not that hardcore about it. Well, you've got a lot to talk about. I kind of actually didn't realize uh, how many things you had been involved in until I was looking at your Wikipedia. And I was like, damn, this guy's had his hands on a lot of shit. There's a few things here and there. Yeah. So there's a lot for us to talk about. But what have you been up to recently? Call out the past six months or something like that. As for everybody, the pandemic was a motherfucker. You know, just doing uh, doing siren shit. We just got back. Well, just got back. It's been a few months now, but... We're in Nashville doing a record and it is almost done. We play um, our first show back in like over 600 days or something crazy like that next Thursday for emo night in Vegas. Yeah. And so we, we do that. And then we fly to LA the following day to finish the record with Zach Servini. Oh, everybody's working with Zach now. Shout out to Zach. Yeah. Zach is the man. He's my neighbor. He's been kind of like in my like quarantine bubble over the past, you know, year and a half. So it's been, it's been really, really cool. Who, who are you with in uh, Nashville? So we are working with Andrew Bayless and uh, we did, we released a song early this year, last year. I can't remember when we released the shit, but we did a song with him and loved it called Bloody Knuckles. And we were like, let's just, let's just do more songs with him. And then that turned into like 12 songs later, having a ton of material with him. So and now we're just kind of doing the finishing touches. We're at that point where we have like 11 strong songs, but we feel like we could beat a few of them and try to top it. So we're going to go to Zach and just do a couple songs and then just call it. I think hopefully by, you know, the end of the month, just the record will be completely done. So that's the plan of attack. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens after our time with Zach, but I imagine that. We'll be we'll be done with it. 
how was it doing a record kind of having been off the road and sort of, you know, out of the usual groove of being a band? I was nervous. Like I was legit nervous going into a studio with the dudes and we haven't even seen each other. Like we haven't, we all live in different States one, I mean, our drummer lives in Australia. So like we have not spent any time together. So there was that nervousness going into it of like, are, are we even going to be able to pump out even just a couple songs, like let alone like a record? Are we kind of, are we thinking too, too far here? Like too much with this? Or do we just book a couple days? But it's always interesting when we go in the studio because it happens really quick. Like everything goes down really quick. Like the first three days we were in Nashville, we had written and recorded fully like five songs. So, and that was from scratch. So we, we just got like right back into a groove and that felt, that was like a big, like sigh of relief, you know, going in just after those first few days going, all right, like we're, it's not even like we still got it. It was just a moment of, you know, we're, we're in a creative space. This feels really good. Let's just let's let's spend the next few weeks just banging out more songs. So that's what we did. And it just felt it just felt fucking great. Fucking great. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, I assume there's plans for tours and stuff. Yeah, there's man. The touring world right now is still so funky. It's it's still pretty like upside down. And, you know, what's happening right now is uh, we want to really hit the ground running next year. But so does so is every other artist and every band you can think of. But you guys are a big band, so I feel like you probably you know get bumped up in the line at least somewhat. I mean, we we've had we have like different windows of opportunities, and it's just trying to figure out what works. And we're also trying to coincide that obviously with the new record. But even then, like it's still been hard. It's been really difficult to lock down venues and dates because everyone is fighting. Everyone is fighting for for, for space right now. So, I mean, we, we are working on touring plans and we, you know, want to get back overseas, but that's like a whole other thing in itself. So we're just trying to focus on at least just trying to get the U S locked down. So I think that's a dynamic, the sort of log jam thing is something that I don't think a lot of fans have thought about is like, yeah, your favorite band wants to go tour, but like you said, so does everyone else. And there's only so many venues of a certain size in any city on any given night. And there's probably literally 50 people that want to play it that night and it just not everyone can do it dude that's exactly it and i think that i mean i don't i'm guessing that fans know that or understanding that i don't even know you know we can't expect them to think about that you know they're just like come play in nashville because i want you to yeah they're like why aren't you playing my city like well we want to but there's also 50 other artists that same week that are trying to fight for venues you know it's tough yeah well, I, I hope that at least this will be great a great year for all the venues. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, it's it's sad because I'm sure you've seen it. Like over the last year and a half, there's a lot of venues that didn't make it through the pandemic. So that's also been a thing. You know, we we had had a tour booked with Amity Affliction, um, you know, in June of last year, and then a bunch of venues from that tour, a few venues from that tour. I don't think our venues anymore. Yeah. So you joined Sleeping with Sirens. Was it before or after Feel? They had already recorded Feel and they were about to start doing uh, tours around it. And that's when I joined. Got it. Okay. So like right after that, which was probably a pretty crazy time to join the band. It was. I came into that whole situation 
not really knowing anything about the band. I was in a band before that, which we can get into whenever, but I had actually left music industry. I was completely over it. I, I was like, I don't want to be on tour again. I don't even want to pick up a guitar. I don't want to be on stage. Like I am done. Like I just want to be out. What were you doing? So I ended up starting a, a screen printing business in San Diego and just completely dedicated all of my time, my efforts, like everything. Just, I just poured myself into that. And then um, I was getting to a point where I was like, I need a vacation. I was working like, you know, like 14 to 15 hour days and hadn't taken any time off. I was like, I need to just go somewhere. And quite literally, I got a call from Callan. He said, dude, we need to fill in for Europe UK. Like, I know you're not touring anymore, but you know, we, it would be awesome if you were interested and want to do it. And I just viewed that as like a paid ticket to go overseas to travel for a bit. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. Like, let's, let's do it. So you were just expecting this to be like a tour. Yeah. That was what they asked me. They just asked me to do, it was like two or three weeks of a Europe UK tour. And the tour was just nuts. You know, I went out there and I was like, wow, like this band, <laughs> this band is a lot popular than, than I thought or had anticipated. Yeah. But really the love for, for playing again, like just came, it just hit me like a shit ton of bricks. I was like, man, I really, really miss this. And fortunately, like a week into that tour, they were like, can we talk to you for, for a minute in the back of the bus? And I was like, yeah. And I thought, I thought it was I thought I fucked up or things weren't working out. They're going to send me home early. <laughs> They're like, you kind of suck. They're like, uh, you know, we have a, we have a tour in the U S after this and just want to know if you want to do that too. And I was like, cool, let's do it. It just kept going after that. They just, I just kept on playing with them. It, there wasn't even really like any more discussions after that. I was just, I was just with them. And then right before the world tour started with Pierce the Veil, literally the day, I think before it started, they just asked if I wanted to, you know, officially be in the band. And that was, that was, it, it was history after that. So what'd you do with the screen printing company? I, I left and then it, they couldn't survive. I think they, you know, lasted for another year and a half, two years and, and folded. So you, you were, you had some other partners or something like that. And you're just like, this is on you guys now or. Yeah, we had, um, we, you know, we had a bunch of employees at the time, fortunately, but I was doing everything and I was right. the main point of contact and I had all of the relationships with all of these different vendors and, you know, people that we were working with. And once I left, they decided to take their business self elsewhere. So. Gotcha. Well, cool. And so then it's off to off to the races and it's been almost 10 years now. Isn't that horrifying? It's crazy. Yeah. You've done a lot of stuff. Like I said, I actually didn't know that you were in drugs. Was that like your last musical thing before Sleep with Sirens? Yeah, that was it. That was what I was doing before that. I was just um, cruising in that band, having a good time. And then things were just not as fun anymore. And all the members of the band, minus our singer, Craig, you know, we quit on the same day. You know, we were in Michigan in the studio and things just, things just weren't feeling right for a while. And uh, we just called it. And when we called it, I just said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, I'm not going to be in a band anymore. I'm, I'm over this shit. And that was it. Yeah. I mean, I, I can relate to that. I think because there's lots of things about the music industry that make me just want to tear my eyes out. There's lots of people that would kill to, you know, have achieved that level of success. What is it that after you had climbed this far up the ladder, you're like, fuck this, I'm over it. 
Well, I think this goes for any business that you're in, even outside of the music industry is when, uh, when you're in a really tight knit group of people that you're working with constantly, when there's, when there's just one person that is not on the same page, if there's one person that, that just, like I said, just isn't on the same page. It just doesn't, it's just not, it's not fun when there's, when there's an element to what you're doing that is taking the fun out of what you're doing. Yeah. There's just a point where it's just not worth it to your mental health anymore. It was taking a toll on me and I was drinking heavily. Like I was, I, I realized, you know, looking back on that now that I was just really numbing myself. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the dudes in the band felt the same way. And, you know, we were just kind of partying our way through it. And then you see it with clear eyes when it hits us all like a shit ton of bricks hanging out together. We just have that moment of this isn't worth it anymore. I'm not trying to stir up drama, but it sounds like you guys were not getting along with Craig. Is that the deal? We were not aligned. And that was something that we all continuously tried to work on, you know, through through the band's history, like what as we were together, but you know, it was just it was really difficult. Back when I was drinking like six to seven days a week, uh I don't feel like I ever had an alcohol problem. I had a life problem, which I tried to avoid by drinking and doing drugs. And then as soon as I fixed that life problem, I just instantly didn't want to drink anymore. You like nailed it with that. I think that there was a lot of, you know, things for me personally that I was just sweeping under a rug for a really long time, even before, you know, joining the band drugs, like well before that. And even going well into my thirties, like I'm, I'm 38 now and I haven't had a a sip of alcohol in over three years now. And it's really because life just wasn't what I wanted it to be. So I, I realized that there was just things in my life I had to eliminate that definitely were not helping my situation. And that, that was one of them, you know, and, and looking back on all of that and just seeing that it was, it was a bit of a crutch. You know, I was leaning on that too much. And I'm sure you've had other artists on here that have spoken about this possibly, but you know, it's, it is the most accepted, okay thing to drink in excess being in a band, being on tour. It's, I always say it's easier to get a beer than it is to get a bottle of water. For sure. Or like go to the gym or, you know, it's not frowned upon if you want to start doing shots as soon as you get up in the morning and crack open beers. Like there's nobody, nobody says like, Maybe you shouldn't start drinking at eight in the morning, you know, like that our lifestyle is as crazy and as chaotic and out of control as you want it to be. And no, there's no, there really isn't anyone saying, you know, don't do that. It's on you. And that's something that I had to really understand and about myself. And as I get older, like I can't, I can't drink like that anymore. Like my hangovers last for days on end. It's just not worth it. It's just not something that I want to do anymore. So I just, I just cut it out. The other thing is like what a lot of people maybe don't realize is touring is fucking boring. A lot of times. Yeah. If you're, you know, headlining, you don't really, you know, you have sound check and maybe you have some press or whatnot, but like, it's a lot of hurry up and wait. You don't really have shit to do a lot of time. And it's like, well, what else is there to do, but drink with your friends that they're on tour with you? Fuck. Yeah, dude, there's so much downtime. There is so much downtime. And it's really easy to fill that downtime with just partying, you know, and it just doesn't do it for me anymore. You know, and I'm, I'm fortunate and grateful that I'm, I've been 
you know, been able to just cut that out on tour and not really have like an itch or an urge to do that anymore. And it's always, you know, through like my almost like 20 years of touring, it's, it's sad and disheartening when you see people that you've toured with that really succumb to that and it, and it just takes over their life and, and they carry that with them off tour as well. Like they carry this lifestyle that they always feel like they have to be on tour still. It's one thing if they're 23, but then they start get, getting to be more like our age. And then it's, then it's dark, you know? And then it's like, okay, now you're a career, you know, partier. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not fun. <laughs> it's no. not fun at all. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it probably is not a challenge for you, I would guess, but I know for a lot of people who sort of struggle to maintain their sobriety, it's hard to be around that stuff on tour you know, unless you're like the real big dick headliner, you can't tell people no partying around me unless you're fucking David Lee Roth or whatever. Yeah. But everyone else, it's like, well, I can't tell other people not to do it. So I got to just like go hide in the bus all the time. And then it's like, it's, it's just, it's tough for a lot of people. And I mean, fortunately, like for you, like it doesn't bother me at all to be around people who are drinking. I don't give a shit. No. And I think that that was something that I had to work on with all the dudes and sirens. You know, when I decided, that I wasn't going to drink anymore. I think immediately they were like, well, we better not invite him to like restaurants or bars anymore because he's what, that's not going to help, you know? And they were, they were just being mindful of that, but just telling them like, no, it's okay. Like you guys can, you guys can do what you want. Like, this is just, you know, a personal decision for me and I'm not trying to change anybody else's, you know, whatever it is that you guys want to do, like, just, you guys can do it. I have fortunately, you know, have like the willpower to just like, just, I'm good. I can just say no and I'm 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 good. You can still go to the Applebee's bar with the boys. You'll just get the virgin flirtini. <laughs> That's it right there, dude. <laughs> that is exactly it. Yeah. So you you have kind of been, I don't know if hired gun is the right word, but according to Wikipedia, you've kind of says you have filled in for bands including Slick Shoes, Norma Jean, uh Atreyu, and Chiodos. That is quite a resume. How did you kind of end up being this person that Sounds like you're the person who gets the call when they need someone to come in and do a thing for a while. I guess it's experience. And this is not me tooting my horn like whatsoever, but you know, I'm just, I'm a person that I, I don't cause bullshit. I don't cause drama. I'm a very, I'm a pretty quiet person. I'm a pretty introverted person. I show up like ready to do what I need to do, I guess, you know, and I would say that I'm, I'm easy to get along with. And I think that all and just being a nice person, I think that is something I learned really early on getting into the industry is that just being a good human being can take you really far in the industry. Surprising, you know, it doesn't pay to be a dickhead. So I've just always been a person that's just been respectful of others. And I think that that's, I think that that's probably hopefully what I'm, I'm known for uh, within the industry. Cause it's more than just uh, being able to tour or play guitar, whatever it might be. A lot of it is attitude and personality. And I've seen where that has not worked for people throughout my life and being in this industry is if you can be the most insane guitar player, the most amazing singer in the world. But if you are a dick and you don't treat people well, I don't know many of those people that are still doing it, yep. you know, just making contacts for as long as I've been doing this and just having a good attitude along the way. I think that that that's definitely 
helped me in my journey, I guess. I was like looking, uh, you know, on Wikipedia, they have like the band member timeline things. Yeah. I like looking at those bands where there's like 18 people that have been in the band and there's only one person that's in there the whole time. And you're like, Hmm, I wonder, uh, <laughs> I wonder what the common denominator is here. <laughs> yeah. This is telling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not always the case, but you know, you, you usually it is. There's a, it makes you think, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's such a good lesson for people who, I mean, it, this is true of any industry. I remember my old boss, I've told the story before, but my old boss, uh, when I was at a design agency, uh, I, I was very good at my job, but I was 25 at the time or something like that. And I, in hindsight was kind of pushy and like forced my ideas on people and stuff. Cause I mean, I, I knew I was right. Yeah. Um, but I didn't understand being tactful. And uh, he was kind of a hard-nosed old school guy. He used to like coach football and stuff. So he pulls me aside and he's like, Finn, let me tell you something. I was like, what's that? And he's like, nobody gives a shit how good you are at your job. They only care about whether they like working with you or not. It's true. And I was like, oh, like as soon as he told me, I was like, oh, fuck, I've made a terrible mistake. Dude, it's absolutely true, though. That is absolutely 100% true, man. I mean, there's so many talented people, especially in music, super talented people that are just fucking incredibly unpleasant to be around. And it's like, nobody is that good that you can't be replaced. That, that you nailed it. You nailed it right on the head with that. You absolutely nailed it. It's true. And I think that's just such a good lesson for people is like, and, and by the way, if you're not the most talented person in the world, that's okay too. I mean, there's plenty of people that, well, I won't name names. I was going to name an example of someone, but I, I don't know if he would agree with me or not. So I won't, but <laughs> there are, there are a couple of people I know who have been in a lot of extremely successful bands that I think would agree with me. They're not great musicians like adequate at best. Yeah. I don't think that I'm a great guitar player. Like I am not a shredder and I've been playing guitar for over 25 years and I can't play a solo. Like I've always <laughs> just been a really solid rhythm kind of guitar player. Like just, I, and I, and when I knew that I was good at that, I was like, I'm going to be as good as fucking possible at being that rhythm guy. And, it, and it's worked for me. It's totally worked for me. Like there's just so much to be said for just showing up. That's um, a line from a good friend of mine. He said this to me maybe five years ago. We were working in the studio and, you know, he's been in the industry for a really, really long time. And someone had asked him like, what's like one piece of advice that you would give to like any aspiring artist or musician? He said, just show up. So all you got to do is just, just show up. Yep. It definitely means a multitude of things, but it seems so simple and so like dumb when you hear it, but it's, it's incredibly powerful and true though, too. Like replying to emails, for example, like, do, do you know uh, Matt from Periphery by any chance, Matt Halpern? Um, I think I've met him once before. Yeah. So I was introduced to him to work on him with this thing years ago. And I sent him an email and he replied in like three minutes and I was like, oh, okay. I know why this band is successful now. Yeah. Because there's so much of this where you're trying to offer someone an opportunity and they just never reply to your emails. And you're like, okay, well, I guess we're not working together. Yeah. Actually, that's funny that you said that because um, before I had joined drugs, I was playing like in, in a couple other like, like cinematic sunrise and some kind of smaller projects. And a major booking agency had reached out to me, asking me if I'd want a position um, working as a potentially as like an assistant for a big booking agent. And they said the main reason why they asked me was because whenever I was on emails involving them, I was always the first person to reply. 
And they said that that was the reason why they asked me was because, because I showed up because I was, I was replying immediately. I wasn't like letting things, you know, putting things off or procrastinating. They view that as this is, this is who we want working up for our agency. So yeah, little things like that, like go a long way. Yeah. It's, it seems like such a simple thing, but it is, uh, it is uh, tragically rare. It is. <laughs> it really is. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, you can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. You've been in bands with a lot of, you know, I guess you could say um, like big personalities or, you know, like Kellen and Craig are both stars, you know, what is it like being in bands with people like that? Where like, you know, the spotlight is obviously on them, not you. How do you feel about that? Well, it's never bothered me. I guess this kind of goes back to like my character and who I am. I'm, I've always been, I would say, a pretty selfless person. So I've never been that person that's like, I need to be front and center and the spotlight needs to be on me. You know, I've always viewed, especially with being in a band and doing music, is that it's a team, you know, and it's not just one person. Um, and I, I don't know. I guess I just never had that kind of like 
jealousy, which you've seen in even like, you know, made huge bands, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's always been like the guitar player that has the issue with the, the lead singer because they're getting more time than them. And right. Yeah. Fortunately, I, our dynamic within sirens, it's never, no one's ever been like fighting for what Kellen has or to like be, you know, take away from his spotlight, you know? And, um, he's, and it's funny because he's the most like grounded dude. I know like over the many years of being in this band, you hear all these rumors about him and he's a dick and he's, he's, he's a, a tyrant or what, like crazy stories. And I always just laugh. So I'm like, no, he's just like, he's a dad. Like he's literally a, an amazing father who is a total nerd you know, he, and he's just, and he, he doesn't even see himself as, um, as, you know, like a popular singer. It's so weird, even still, you know, he just doesn't, he doesn't like see that or view that at all. And I think that that's also a great dynamic that we have in our band is that we keep each other grounded. Like no one gets a big head because we're all the first ones to roast each other. If like a little bit of ego starts like coming out we're the first to just roast each other and just like, keep nope. each other grounded. I think that that's been a great thing of, of being in this band is that, you know, we don't, we don't have those kind of like big egos and like, or, you know, Kellen being like, I'm the lead singer and the spotlight needs to be on me. Cause he's right. not, he's not like that, which makes for a great just family and work experience. You know, when I've been in that kind of situation in the past, not musically, but you know, in business and stuff, when I've worked for, you know, people who are, you know, kind of the face of the company, the CEO and stuff like that. I am totally happy to sort of play the support role because I don't really like it might seem weird since I have a YouTube channel and stuff, but I don't actually enjoy being in the spotlight. I do this because I have something to say and like I want to say it, but I don't I don't want attention for attention's sake. You know what I mean? And especially like with you know people like Kellen and Craig, like at their peak, that seems like it would have been really annoying to be in that. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. And I see how patient he is when we're in public. And he, I mean, to be honest, he like, it kind of gets spotted everywhere Yeah, and anywhere we go. Like, I mean, I get recognized and I'm sure he gets recognized a hundred more times than I do. <laughs> yeah. He gets recognized <laughs> quite a bit and he's always just so like quiet and cool and humble about it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's cool to see because I've been in positions before with other artists where they're not like that. And it's not fun to be around or to be a part of. Right. So where do you, you know, given that you have in the past kind of been willing to walk away from music, do you think you'll be doing this for the rest of your life? Or do you think that this will run its course or what do you, what's the plan? What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Nick Martin? I I mean, I don't think so, you know, I, but I will say that I will do this as long, as long as I can until the wheels fall off. You know, I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. It's interesting that I feel more invigorated and I feel like I've barely started. I'm more in this mind space or this mindset of like, let's take this as far as I can versus how I felt in my twenties, you know, like you know, now approaching my forties, I feel like I have that feeling of like, I barely scratched the surface. So when it comes to music, like I still see myself doing this for a long while, but yeah, I, I don't know how long exactly, but I do have like other interests. Like I'm starting a coffee company. I, you know, want to explore other 
areas of life outside of outside of music, but you know, music is still first and foremost for me. So we'll see what happens after this next record and see what we want to do next or not do next and just take it from there. I feel like in a way being willing or not, not willing, but knowing that you can do other things with your life is actually makes you better at being a musician or a creator because you can take more chances and take more risks and you don't, you like, you're not operating out of fear of like, Oh, this next one has to be big. Cause it's the only thing like, Oh, my entire life rides on this next tour or record or whatever. You're like, nah, like if this doesn't make sense anymore, then I'll do something else in my life and that's okay. So we're just going to do what we want. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I brought it up to the band over, you know, the many years that we've been together that, you know, if one day, someone says like, I don't want to do this anymore, then that's okay. I wouldn't fight for them to like, keep on doing something if they're not having fun, if they're not enjoying themselves, if it's not fulfilling anymore, because I, because I get it because I've been in that position of, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think that for me, it was so important for me to step away because once I got back into it, it really made me realize how much I truly love what I do. And I think having that time to reflect and to do something else, do something completely different outside of music and then coming back to it and real and realizing like, wow, this is actually a huge part of me and what is fulfilling for me and realizing that there's other things too that are fulfilling. And that's also a great thing. And like you said, it's nice to just know that there's other things for me to explore in my life. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to do that. And yeah, I, it's, I'm, I'm a really, I'm a really fortunate dude, you know, that's had a rad career. And if it ended tomorrow, I would be completely okay with that and move on to something else that gratifies me. So you mentioned mindset earlier. Uh, you strike me as somebody that puts a decent amount of energy into that, into kind of managing your mindset. Is that, am I correct? Yeah. And I think that's still something that I'm, that I'm still working on. You know, I think that actually, as I've over the last few years, you know, I've been in therapy. I do, I do therapy once a week and I've been consistent with that for coming up on like two years now. And that's really helped me dig in even more on myself and really figuring out my mindset and what it is I want to do and what I don't want to do and what's authentic and what's not authentic. And when you start really having an open mind within yourself to all of these, all of these things, and you're picking yourself apart in a, in a healthy way, it's empowering. But yeah, I'm definitely, I, I, I think that that's something that I'm still working on is my mindset and being even more strong with it and more powerful with it, I guess. What are the specific things you're working on, if you don't mind me asking? Personally, I, I struggle with with self-esteem issues. You know, I and I go in waves with it of like confidence. And I think that throughout the pandemic, that really, that just, just hit me so hard because there was a realization that I had so much of myself into the band and like nothing else. Like suddenly it was like, if the band ended right now, like, what would I do? Like if you're not playing shows, who are you? Yeah. I'm still, I feel like on this like kind of self-discovery 
journey and I'm 38. When you're a kid, you think everyone who's like over 30 is like, has all their shit figured out and like, Oh, like adults are all like perfect humans. Right. And then you get to be 30. You're like, Holy shit. I don't know anything about anything. Exactly. So yeah, I've, I've been working on that. And I think that that's where, you know, even starting a YouTube channel, I'm starting that in like March or April, like just doing, finding other creative outlets. And I knew that the, those all exist before and I was capable of doing them. I just wasn't doing them. So just taking a bit more of action, like just taking a few more steps as opposed to kind of just sitting and waiting. And now we're starting a coffee company and whatnot, like just trying new things and like saying like, who fucking cares if it, if it quote unquote fails, like yep. I'm not going to know unless I fucking try. So that's been something that I've been definitely working on more understanding about myself. There was a Bruce Lee poster on the wall of my old MMA gym that I just randomly saw out of the corner of my eye that really stood out to me one day. And I've kept, kept it in my mind ever since action is the road to self-esteem. Like anytime I am scared or doubtful or whatever, I'm like, okay, what can I start doing? Like literally right this second that will make me feel like I took action towards this thing I'm afraid of. Like that could just be sending an email or whatever it is, like just some little thing. And without fail, if I just do something, I'm like, okay, I feel like 50% better already. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that I always had this, I had a mindset that things will just get better. Like if I just, if I sit still long enough or when, when tomorrow comes, like when I wake up in the morning, like things will be better and maybe they would, but more often times than not, wouldn't. But why? I, I have the exact opposite problem of like, I feel like if I'm not constantly doing something, my life will fall apart and everything will be terrible and awful if I don't work every single second of the day forever. Like, are you working on that? Or is that just something that you just know and understand about yourself? Or you're just like, I just have to, I'm just doing this. It's both. I mean, that's just the way I've been my whole life. So I, I'm that's not going to change about me, but I do need to just make sure that it doesn't cause problems. You know, it's like, all right, it's seven o'clock. How about I stop working and go hang out with my wife? Yeah. And just like tell that voice in the back of my head, just chill out. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Everything's going to be good. And congrats on the new house, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Excited. You know, buying a house anywhere on the West coast is not easy. So, uh, no, it's not. <laughs> we, we sold our old place in Seattle and moved about 70 miles South. So that that's the move is, you know, move out of the big city and go out somewhere uncool that nobody wants to be. <laughs> I think it's awesome, man. Congrats to you. Yeah. Well, are you cool taking a couple questions from the chat if we have any? Sure. Yeah. I have a couple other questions, but let's uh, give the people a minute. My question is like from, you know, being sort of, I don't know if a fill-in is the right word, but, you know, being a a short-term member of so many of these projects, like what, what would you say is like the one thing that you learned from kind of being able to drop into so many of these different like high profile, successful bands? I think for me personally, I learned that I'm a versatile musician, you know, that I, you know, started out in punk rock and hardcore bands. And then I was suddenly in cinematic sunrise, which is a like pop rock band. And, um, you know, then doing like Isles and glaciers with all of these people and writing a record, writing and recording a record and like, 10 days and, and just knowing like I'm, I'm capable of, of doing a lot. Like I'm not just a punk rock or a hardcore guy and I'm not just, um, uh, emo rock guy or a pop rock guy that, um, that 
um, I, I can kind of float around because I enjoy all of that. And I think that that's something that I've passed along to other aspiring musicians is like, just don't pigeonhole yourself. Like don't, don't, or, you know, don't, don't put yourself into a corner that you have to be like one thing. Um, and I know that's fearful. It's a scary thing for artists. You know, I, I, I can, I know a lot of people within like the hardcore metal community that would never dare do something in a pop realm because it, it, that would like tarnish their, their image or right. like not being metal enough or whatever it is. And I don't know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a complete opposite when it comes to that, I guess it's just over the years learning that I'm able to do a lot more than just one thing, but enjoying it too. We've got a couple of questions here from, uh, well, first of all, we've got a, an undermined fan. Christian death says undermined is goaded. So there's that. Awesome. Two hundred. Uh, my my friend Tony. Not a question. Just wanted to say, Undermined was my favorite band of all time in high school, and I still love them. He sings for the band Dragged Under. If you're familiar with them, so got some fans here. Uh, from Chaco Pretz, what's the funniest tour moment you remember? Actually, this popped up today in Twitter. A fan had remembered a few years back. We were in Nashville on Halloween. A few of us were going to see Foo Fighters play at the Ryman, and another group of people were going to just hit Nashville hard and, and party their asses off. And Justin, our bass player, <laughs> um, he decided to dress up as pubes. So he was head to toe covered in, uh, in, in just curly black hair. Like disgusting. just, he just looked like a big pube. That's the worst Halloween costume I've ever heard of. That is vile. I'll have to find photos to send it to you because it was hilarious, but he, what happened that night is we went to hibachi dinner before we all parted ways for the night. I remember the chef purposely throwing the flames off this hibachi grill, like straight at him just to see him go up in flames. And I remember just thinking that was the funniest, like this. And that's just like another day on tour. Like every single day on tour is just some stupid, funny um, time, you know, like Justin is, kind of like the the clown of the group so he's just always out of 10 and always just entertaining us so him almost going up in flames dressed up as pubes on halloween was one of the funnier moments all right what's a band you had no idea this is from uh as mc11 what's a band you had no idea about until you played a show with them and are now a big fan it kind of like i had obscure answers for that for bands that no one has ever heard of still give us an obscure one then I'm sure they'll appreciate it when i was an undermined we had played this show in in idaho and this band called examination of the played and to this day i don't know if i've ever seen a crowd do what they were doing like there were people running around the venue like they were possessed by demons like people that were running by themselves into walls and this band was just i don't know how to explain their sound they i guess they were kind of like reminiscent of bands like the locust and um kind of real like chaotic sounding kind of metal I guess it was kind of metal, but this band like completely like changed all of us in just the way that, at least for me, my approach to, to live music and uh, putting on just a crazy show. The drummer was wearing like a leopard print Speedo. And I remember that we came back from that trip and we had played this record for like all the dudes who are now like Pierce the Veil. 
and they loved it. And then we played it for my boy, Tino, who's in of mice and men now. And he like, he's like the biggest examination of the fan now. Like it was just this weird little band that no one had ever heard of that like, like influenced all of us. And to this day, I don't even know. I mean, I guess you go on Spotify and maybe find them. I think they end up changing their name to exam, but they're really hard to find. But well, there's just a great example of, you never know. You might think that you're doing something and nobody noticed it. Nobody cares, but you never know who's watching and what an impact it might make on them, you know? So here you go. This little band has influenced all these, these huge bands. This is from Matt Land 175. What is your favorite song you have played between all the bands you have been in? That's like the hardest question I think I've ever been asked. It's so cliche to say it's like our new, it's our new music. Like we're playing a, you know, like I said, we're playing our first show back next week and it'll be the first time we're playing two songs that we've never played before. And I'm just so amped to play them. That's kind of a bias answer. It's, I mean, if it's how you feel, it's how you feel. Yeah. Are there any artists or music you are a fan of that would surprise us? This is from S people's 28. I listen to so many styles of music and I've grown up that way. You know, I grew up in a household that my dad has the biggest record collection of anyone to this day that I've ever met. And I grew up on classical music and mariachi music and rock and roll and hip hop and punk rock and opera. Like I grew up on so many types of music. So I've always had a very, very eclectic mind and taste when it comes to music. Um, I guess recently, like I, I'm a fan of K-pop. I think K-pop is the jam. Like I think I, I grew up a pop music fan. Like I grew up on Michael Jackson and Prince and Madonna in eighties. I grew up listening to eighties music. So, um, I, I appreciate good pop music because I don't think it's easy to make. And I think that there's a lot of K-pop artists that are writing powerful, catchy songs. So I guess recently that's what I would, I would say it's K-pop. Nick Martin is a Blackpink stan. You heard it here first. I actually haven't listened to Blackpink yet. They're good. You like it. If you, if you like K-pop, you'll, you'll like it. From Kent Ninja, I don't know I don't know if you have answered this already or not, but what are your biggest influencers when it comes to guitar? I grew up in the MTV generation when they played music videos. And I remember just like Green Day, watching Billy Joe. I was huge into Metallica and Pantera. So watching like James Hetfield and Kirk Hammett and Dimebag, obviously those were definitely influential for me to want to pick up a guitar, like Kurt Cobain and Chris Cornell and Kim Thale from Soundgarden, like bands like that just blew my mind or Daniel Johns from Silverchair. I thought he was like the coolest guitar player. Um, yeah, I was just influenced by shit I saw on, on MTV that made me want to like pick up guitars. Cross Place says, I'm from Nashville and I love the city as a designer and worked in the print industry for a long time. I also worked in printing for a long time. I feel like your knowledge and fins is priceless to me. I just want to say this interview was great and I hope to pick your brain sometime on design and print. I could talk about printing all fucking day long, but I don't think anybody wants to hear about trapping and overprinting and registration and shit, but I can talk about that shit all day long. You can totally pick my brain. Would love to chat. I am still a person that I pick up t-shirts and I will examine the print on t-shirts. This registration is shit. Who printed this? Yeah, this is this is bad registration. The underbase is terrible on this. This is this plastic soling they use is yeah. way too thick. 
placement is terrible. Like I'm that person still. So I can't look at a t-shirt the same ever again. Placement is the big thing for me. So many nineties and two thousand shirts had the weirdest placement. It's like halfway, I mean, like your shirt, like the placement's pretty low, you know? Oh man. We're like, the, the, it probably be like the center would be down here and not up here. <laughs> right. Weird. Just weird. Do people often confuse you with the guy from the Beastie Boys? I've never heard that. I don't know what guy from the Beastie Boys. I don't know who it would be. But I will take that as a huge compliment because I love the Beastie Boys. Yeah, who wouldn't? Okay, cool. Well, thank you very much for uh, joining. Really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully we get to hang out when you come by uh, Portland or Seattle one of these days. Would love to hang, dude. Would love to hang. Big fan of everything you do. Keep on crushing it. Like You set the bar real high for creators in general. I don't know if you think that or know that, but you inspire me, dude. So super, super stoked to be able to finally chat it up and um, let's keep in touch, dude. Yep. Same to you. Talk to you soon. Okay. I did. Peace. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.